Today on Blue 58, the Packers have resolved their quarterback situation. Well, at least part of it. Thanks to signing Blake Bortles, they at least have enough quarterbacks now to have practice. But does this say anything about their overall quarterback picture? Let's talk about it. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Three very different things I want to talk about today. First, we're going to talk about signing Blake Bortles, get caught up with some news about Packers draft pick signings. Then we're going to answer a question that has been percolating in my email inbox since December. I'm excited for this, and I hope you are too, because it's going to be part of a larger project that we are working on in terms of finding value in the draft. A draft topic after the draft? Yep, we're going to do it. And I think it'll make sense once you see what we're talking about. But the issue at hand is Blake Bortles. The Packers signed Blake Bortles, the former top five pick for the Jacksonville Jaguars, had five relatively uneventful seasons for the Jaguars, much to their chagrin. But I guess, in a way, it put them in position to draft Trevor Lawrence. Thank you, Blake Bortles, I guess. The temptation here is to react one of two ways. Either you are inclined to say this has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers, or you are inclined to say this has a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers. That seems to be the two major camps people writing and talking about this on the internet fall into. I think there is a third way to look at this, as is, I guess, our tendency on this podcast. I think this is a very clear-cut situation where we have to look at the two positions on Bortles as points on a spectrum. So picture a line, a continuum, horizontal, moving left to right. On one end, you have that this signing has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. And on the other end, you have the position that has has a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers. The truth is probably somewhere between those two. Where exactly does it fall? First, some facts. You need probably three quarterbacks at least on your roster to have a functional football practice. If you are going to run your plays, if your receivers are going to catch passes, if your running backs are going to take handoffs, you need quarterbacks to run your offense. Prior to signing Blake Bortles, the Packers had one quarterback on their roster other than Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love. Okay, And I'm sure Jordan Love is very good at handing off to running backs and throwing passes to receivers in practice. He better be because that's all he's been doing on the football field for a little over a year now. Not his fault. But that is the reality. That's what he's been doing. Other than that, the Packers have Kurt Bankert and Chad Kelly coming in for tryouts this weekend for rookie minicamp. So unless you are comfortable going through your offseason with Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love and nobody else, you're going to have to bring some people in. And the Packers have been doing that. On the other hand... This is not, it is not impossible that the Packers just signed their number two quarterback for this season. Should things continue as some in the media seem to want them to go and the Packers do end up trading Aaron Rodgers, the Packers will have presumably Jordan Love as their starter and they will need at least one more quarterback on the active roster. That could be Blake Bortles. He could be their third quarterback. He could be depending how practice squad rules shake out this year, their practice squad quarterback. But he factors into this picture somehow. So where? Personally, 
I lean more towards this having nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. Look at it this way. The Packers, on top of Jordan Love, probably needed to sign two quarterbacks to get through training camp. Let's just assume that everything is okay with Aaron Rodgers this summer. You've got Aaron Rodgers there for sure. You've got Jordan Love there for sure. You are still short on arms. Okay? So the Packers probably need to bring in at least one, probably two guys. Well, what do you do in that situation? I think it makes sense to sign a veteran. And then that puts you in a position where you can have two guys in for your rookie minicamp tryout in Bankert and Kelly and take whichever one impresses you the most. And then you've got some in-person reps with the other guy and you can call them if things go south. I think that is a charitable reading of the situation. On top of that, Blake Bortles has noteworthy connections to the Packers already. His best seasons with the Jaguars, his best season, in fact, 2017, came with Packers offensive coordinator Nathaniel Hackett working as the Jaguars offensive coordinator. It is not a coincidence that he ended up in Green Bay, even less a coincidence that he ends up in Green Bay after spending a season with Sean McVay and the Los Angeles Rams. The dots should be connecting in your head, but Sean McVay is from the Mike Shanahan coaching tree as well. He and Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur all have roots in that system. Blake Bortles, therefore, has some connections to that system. So the Packers here, on top of getting the camp arm or potential third string or, I guess, second string guy that they need, get a guy who has experience in this offense or at least a version of it and has connections to their offensive coordinator. You can build a pretty substantive case for Bortles ending up in Green Bay, regardless of what you think of the Aaron Rodgers situation. It may have something to do with Aaron Rodgers, but on that spectrum from nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers to a lot to do with Aaron Rodgers, I think we're a lot closer to the nothing to do side of things than the a lot to do side of things. It's not all the way to one side, but I think it is significantly closer to one side than the other. There is some other Packers news that we need to catch up on. The Packers have signed three of their nine rookie draft picks. Cole Van Lannen, TJ Slayton, and Kylan Hill have all signed their rookie contracts. I want to talk about each of these guys quickly again. Van Lannen, I think, is going to be this year's John Runyon. Um, Packers, ideally, will try to get him in the works at guard. But I think just looking at the numbers a little bit, he is probably going to end up looking at the practice squad to start, especially if he ends up being more of a guard than a tackle. Uh, Between the two rookies the Packers have added, I think Van Lannen looks more like a guard than a tackle, and Royce Newman looks more like a tackle than a guard. And Josh Myers is an interior lineman all the way. So if, if you're looking for depth on the offensive line, I think you're looking at Newman first and Van Lannen after that, assuming that John Runyon is probably on the depth chart ahead of him. Kylan Hill and TJ Slayton are both in very similar situations, I think. Now, normally, these guys wouldn't be that big of a deal. Day three picks, just looking for flyers here. But both of them are going into situation 
where they're already coming out a little bit ahead on the numbers game. So look at the defensive line. Other than TJ Slayton, the Packers added only one defensive lineman this offseason. One, Jack Heflin, the undrafted free agent defensive lineman. Heflin, as we talked about in our undrafted free agent um, roundup, is already a bit on the small side for a defensive lineman in general, and looking at as at him as a three technique, he's 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 pretty small. Probably not looking at a serious bid to make the roster, but he has some decent pressure numbers, especially dating back to his time at smaller college ball. Might as well bring him in, see if he can hold up. Packers have had some luck with smaller size defensive linemen before. And with Joe Barry changing up the scheme a little bit, maybe there is an opportunity to do something like that again. But Slayton is walking into that situation, and I think we would all agree that as much as the Packers do have some likable guys up front, uh, they do not necessarily have the most talent among their defensive linemen. If nothing else, there's really nobody else around in Green Bay right now who can match Slayton's size. He is listed at 6'4", 330 pounds, okay? But we all know that lifted weight and actual weight are a little bit different. Virtually unmatched size up front from Mr. Slayton. Potentially as high as 340 to 350 to maybe 360. Doing some additional reading, I did see one report that said he played as high as 385 at one point at Florida. I mean, if you can do it, good for you, I guess. Uh, But he's a big dude. And there are opportunities to be had up front. Kylan Hill, meanwhile, is coming into a backfield that's definitely looking for at least one more contributor. So you got spots one and two on the depth chart, all but locked up. Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon have those wrapped up for sure. But beyond that, it is pretty sparse at running back. You've got Dexter Williams, who almost got rolling last year in the Packers, um, in the depths of their problems with COVID-19 when everybody in the backfield was injured or hurt, he immediately came in and got hurt again. Patrick Taylor, meanwhile, was on the the pup list for most of 2020. And Mike Weber is still kicking around as well, uh, but really barely merits a mention outside the practice squad last year. So in comes Kylan Hill, who, like TJ Slayton, could really make some hay early if he can make the most of his opportunities over the summer. Those are the three guys the Packers have under contract so far this season, or so far this spring from their draft class. Three down, six to go. Let's talk about something completely different. Way back in December, way back on December 30th, 2020, A reader slash listener by the name of Seth White wrote in, in the midst of our Adrian Amos fundraiser, with a question. He said, a while back, you did an episode along the lines of explaining that in order to get a good running back, you need to draft them high in rounds one to three. You laid out some metrics for what made them good, and then you showed how often you can expect to get a good running back in each round of the draft. You showed that the odds were significantly higher in higher rounds of the draft. I found that work very interesting. Ever since that episode, though, I've been curious. How does that compare position by position? It seems intuitive that good players tend to come from the top of the draft, but how does it vary by position? Is the success rate for good players similar across positions, 
or is there a higher drop-off for others? If that is the case, it may impact draft strategy regardless of how much value or need you put on a given position. I want to pause there for a second. So what he's talking about here is a, a podcast we did last year, prior to last summer, prior to training camp, about where you can get value at running back in the draft. And I did this after a listener wrote in, heck, it may even have been Seth, I don't know. Um, I was unable to find the question, but um, an, a listener wrote in challenging my assertion that you can find quality running backs late in the draft. So I did some research and found that by the numbers, most of the productive running backs, even if you're looking at the advanced metrics, do come from the first couple of rounds, first two or three rounds for sure. By the time you get to day three, your chances of drafting a high-impact running back are pretty low. So what Seth is alluding at here, alluding to here, is this idea that even if you don't need, say, a defensive lineman, would it be a good idea to take one early if you get the chance just because you're never going to get any value anywhere else? And I think there's something to that idea. We talked about that with Christian Barmore uh, heading into this year's draft. He was really the only noteworthy defensive lineman in the draft class this year that everybody agreed was good. And the rubric we'd ran him through kind of confirmed that as well. He was the real, only real guy who looked like a serious contributor right out of the gate. So the Packers did have needs on the defensive line, as we've talked about in this this episode even. But they also had needs elsewhere. But given how the value in the draft tends to shake out, I think you could have made a case for taking a guy like Barmore early anyway. So that's kind of what we're getting at here. So Seth continues, uh, for example, how much teams value or need help at certain positions may impact how high of a draft pick they use. But if the team also knows that the success rate on, say, offensive line in the second and fourth are similar, but the success rate on wide receivers or running back between second and fourth drops off a ton, they may take a wide receiver or running back early rather than later. Of course, teams ultimately look at players individually to make decisions, but the idea, this idea may impact how much relative value a team assigns to a player at a given round. Or at the very least, it could be a metric they include in their overall score for a player or selection's value. So my idea is to look at success rate of finding a good player per, per position per round of the draft and then look at the trends. Which positions cluster to the top how hard do some drop-offs, and so on? And what positions does it not matter as much where you get them? So that is a very good question, and it's setting up what I think needs to be a little bit of a short series here, a, a series of studies into these positions. So over the next few weeks and uh, months, I guess now, as we're in the, the learning portion as we've laid it out in our, um, uh, I guess, in my off-season scheduling, we can do some behind the scenes and, and deeper dives on some topics. And I think this is a good time to do that. So we're going to take Seth's approach here, or, or the approach Seth likes here that we applied to running backs last year and do a similar thing with a couple of other positions. The metrics are going to be hard because, hard to come by at some of them because production for some uh, positions is, well, it's different than than for others. So I thought we'd start with an easy one. What about wide receiver? This is of note for Packers fans uh, because, well, for a couple of reasons. First, the Packers have historically hesitated to spend super, super high draft picks on wide receivers. 
They last drafted a receiver in the first round was Javon Walker, or the last one they did was Javon Walker. Other than that, it's been largely second and third round picks. And that continued this year. They get Amari Rodgers in the third round. Brian Gutekunst seemed to like the value there. They did trade up to get him. But he said he even briefly considered taking uh, Rodgers there in the second round. Would that have been a good approach? Do the numbers bear that out? Well, what numbers are we talking about? I started this study um, using the same numbers that we did for running back or for running backs. Yeah. And uh, just wanted to look at the highest of the high performers. And eventually I want to expand this out a little bit so we can get even more data. Uh, But the numbers I started with were football outsiders, two main metrics for measuring production. Uh, Defensive yards above replacement, DYAR, defense adjusted yards above replacement, and DVOA, uh, defense adjusted value over average. The first one, yards above replacement, measures how much you're producing overall. The second one measures how efficient you are. I looked at the top 10 in each of those categories for each of the last 10 seasons. And I counted how many of those seasons. So we've got 10 seasons that we looked at. And within those seasons, we have 10 individual seasons produced by players. So I looked at how many of those seasons out of the 100 that we compiled were produced by first round picks, second round picks, third round picks, and so on, all the way down to undrafted free agents. All right. I did the same for DVOA. The numbers are not entirely unexpected, but they are surprising in a way. Let's start with defense-adjusted yards above replacement. So Devontae Adams led the league in this category last year. He was a second-round pick. Stephon Diggs was second. He's a fifth-rounder. Justin Jefferson out of Minnesota was a first-rounder. Mike Evans out of uh, Tampa Bay was up there. He was a first-rounder. DK Metcalf and A.J. Brown were both second-rounders. Will Fuller was a first-rounder. Tyreek Hill, a fifth-rounder. Adam Thielen was undrafted. And Nelson Aguilar was a first-round pick. Did that for all 10 years dating back to 2011. So 2011 to present, you've got 100 players here in this, uh, this group of players we're looking at. Okay? Just in terms of yards above replacement... 39 of the 100 seasons that we looked at were produced by first-round picks. Another 20 came from second-round picks. Another 15 came from third-rounders. From rounds four through seven, we got just 15 top 10 DYAR seasons. And then undrafted free agents contributed 10. Percentage-wise, the first two rounds contributed 59% of these seasons. The first three brought us 74%. If you want a good receiver, if you want a receiver who's going to produce a lot of yards, a lot of yards that are productive relative to the average receiver, you're pretty much going to have to get him in the first round. Okay? But there is more to that story than this. Efficiency is another big part of how you're producing your statistics. And this is something the advanced stats don't love about Devontae Adams because a lot of his stats 
are compiled somewhat inefficiently. A lot of bubble screens, a lot of short slant routes that he turns into uh, run after the catch sort of plays. That is not the most efficient way to pile up yards. In some respects, Marquez Valdez-Scantling is a more efficient receiver than Devontae Adams. That is a little bit of a hyperbole, but I think you understand what I mean. MVS averaged 20.9 yards per catch last year. That is amazingly efficient on a per-catch basis. Per target, it drops way down because he's got a bunch of drops in there. But when he's catching the ball, he's very efficient because he gets down the field and is able to get a lot of yards in big chunks. And you see, just looking at the top five, that um, that is borne out. The guys that are producing a whole lot of volume are not necessarily the same guys that are doing it efficiently. The top five in DVOA from Football Outsiders last year were Will Fuller out of Houston, Julio Jones out of Atlanta, Richard Higgins out of Cleveland, believe it or not, Nelson Aguilar out of Las Vegas for the Raiders, only one... uh, well, one of only a couple jumping into both of these metrics, Justin Jefferson, one of the other ones. That that draft pick is going to sting for a little while. And uh, Chris Godwin from Tampa Bay uh, round out the top, top five there. The per-round breakdown here shakes out a little bit differently than um, than the other metric, though. 27 down from 39... 27 of these 100 seasons came from the first round in this metric. Another 20 from the second round, another 18 from the third round. Your first two rounds bring us just under half, 47% of the the total seasons. The first three bring you 65%. That is a fairly noteworthy change from the previous metric we looked at. So if you want volume you're almost certainly going to have to get your contributors in the first couple rounds of the draft. If you want just efficiency, it expands out a little bit more. Here are some more details on the efficiency numbers. Two fourth-rounders contributed seasons to our count. Eleven of these seasons came from fifth-round picks. Another two from sixth-rounders, another two from seventh-rounders, and 17 from undrafted free agents. This, to me, paints an interesting picture. And this is, uh, understandably, just two data points here. But if you're looking to add receiving talent to your offense, you can go about this a couple ways. I think this shows us that if you need a high-end contributor, a guy who's going to be your number one or number two receiver, it's pretty much got to be round one or round two. There was some stat I saw circling around the internet this week about how you were more likely to get a Pro Bowl receiver from a second-round pick than a first-round pick. I think that may just be a little bit of a fluke, but it, it kind of bears out this idea that the, the ultra-high-end guys are going first, or first and second round. But if you need some efficiency, you've got a pretty good chance 32 out of 100 chance, in fact, over the last two, 10 years of getting a high-end season from a fifth-round pick or later. 17 top 10 DVOA seasons from undrafted free agents since 2010. You can bring in undrafted free agents 
and discover efficient receivers. It happens. But you got to take a lot of swings. So what does that tell us about the Packers? Well, they have added at least one receiver this offseason who figures to be in more of that efficiency category than than the overall volume category. I think just looking at the sort of players that that Amari Rodgers is, you're not looking for giant amounts of volume out of him anyway. And since he was taken in the middle to late portions of the third round, you're tending towards that efficiency sort of player anyway. And that is good given the role we think he's probably going to play. But beyond that, I think we can apply this, what we've learned here, to what the Packers are probably going to do this weekend in their rookie minicamp. Other than Amari Rodgers, they've only added Bailey Gaither at wide receiver. Now, say what you will about the top of the Packers' wide receiver depth chart. You can go a lot of different ways there. I kind of like what they've got going on. I still think they could stand to add some talent. But if they're looking to add some talent, they've got a good opportunity to do it here this weekend at their mini rookie minicamp. They're probably going to have some tryout players in, and a couple of those tryout players are probably going to be receivers. And I bet if any of those receivers happens to be athletic and makes a couple of plays this weekend, we're going to see them end up on the roster after this weekend. There are roster spots to be had. And it is good practice, as we've seen in this little study, to look for efficiency from receivers in this sort of pool. There are prospects out there. It's just a matter of finding them. Take a lot of swings. See what you find. Add some talent at receiver and you never know what you could get. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, a little bit of a statistical deep dive here. I'd appreciate you sharing it with somebody else who you think would enjoy it as well. That's going to help us continue to grow this conversation we're having around the Packers and ultimately help everybody, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.